This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We have a lot to look forward to in AI in 2024. Uh, now, there's a lot of stuff that I'm not looking forward to as well. In my last video, I unpacked 10 things that I'm really looking forward to next year in AI. And so now, uh, <laughs> the other side of the coin, let's look at things that I'm not looking forward to this time next year in artificial intelligence. First and foremost is the 2024 U.S. election cycle. Uh, just from the perspective of artificial intelligence, I'm really not looking forward to this because of deep fakes and better uh better bots, more Russian interference, possibly Chinese interference. It's been pretty well documented that these state actors have been trying to meddle in U.S. elections for a while. I know that there's a few people out there who don't believe it or believe that uh, paid state actors acting as trolls is still a legitimate form of free speech and shouldn't be censored. You know, I've watched videos on both sides of the uh, of the argument, and there is an argument to be made that the truth is a much sturdier thing. However, there's a lot of really gullible people out there. Um, and so obviously freedom of speech uh, has been something that is uh, debated a lot in America and ar around the world. Um, so the debate will continue and the debate will intensify. In the meantime, I hope that we can um, hopefully use AI as part of a deterrent as well. Now, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that uh, chaos is the point. Chaos is the strategy that uh, that election interference has. It's not necessarily that they're looking for any one uh, person. Some nations want, uh, you know, one president over another. But for instance, uh, China does not want Donald Trump because Trump is very, very anti-China. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Trump is, however, very pro-Russia. Um, now, this is part of an ongoing trend and ongoing saga uh, again, that has to do with AI. Misinformation and disinformation campaigns are nothing new. Um, we've seen that AI can be misused for elections, um, even without generative AI. But uh, the chatbots, the generative AI trend, large language models make the disinformation all that much better and faster and more pervasive. So this is one thing I'm really super not looking forward to next year. The next thing that I'm not looking forward to is AI cults. So... <laughs> This is probably news to you because this is still a very small phenomenon, but 
there have been at least a couple of cults popping up around Rocco's Basilisk. If you're not familiar with Rocco's Basilisk, it was a thought experiment, I think 11 or 12 years ago, where basically the idea is that um, in the future, some digital AI god will be created. And what it will do is it will scour the entire internet and, and look for people, look for evidence of people that helped create it. And those people will be fine. But the people who did not help create it will all be tortured for all of eternity. So this is basically a worst case scenario. Um, and it's uh, one, it's pure fiction. There's no reason to believe that uh, AI would be that vengeful. But it's a very interesting thought experiment. And because of how compelling the, uh, the archetypal image is, um, there's been a couple of cults that have popped up around this. And so what evidence do I have? There's not much, but because of my presence online, because of the communities that I run and that I participate in, I have seen a few people pop up here and there um, that are, either, it, it's not clear. Some of them seem to be advocating for the creation of Roko's Basilisk. So they're, they're doing their, you know, their, their duty according to what uh, the Basilisk wants, which is spreading the word. Um, oh, and one part of the Basilisk's like mythology is that if you know about it, you have to participate in creating it. Um, but the only way to stay safe is to um, is to not know about it. Um, so they're spreading the word, meaning that there's more people that are aware of uh, Rocco's Basilisk. And some people are trying to prevent it. Some people are trying to create it. Either way, they're proselytizing online. They join Discord communities. They join Reddit uh, communities. They get in the, the YouTube comments and that sort of thing. There's not that many, but um, some members of my community found that there's like at least one Facebook group um, where they kind of coordinate their efforts. So it's really interesting phenomenon. Um, mostly it's just kind of irritating, um, but there is the possibility that this kind of thing is going to stick around for a long time and could have uh, more darker implications in the long run. Um, so stay tuned. My next video will actually be a deep dive into uh, religious cults and Roko's Basilisk cult uh, <laughs> in particular. So anyways, this is one thing that I'm not necessarily looking forward to because, um, well, you know, it's a cult. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. The next thing that I'm not looking forward to is uh, tensions between the United States and China. So a really, really brief recap. Uh, earlier this year, uh, President Biden uh, signed an executive order um, basically banning exports of advanced AI technology to China. This is, you know, pretty much to be expected as tensions rise in the area. Geopolitical tensions are going up. And this is set against the backdrop of most of the most of the world seems like it's gearing up for some kind of conflict. Um, Japan is more than doubling its military investment. Germany, Poland, France, um, United States has al has always been kind of uh, pretty hot on military investment. But many many nations are gearing up and doubling down on military investment. So it seems like we're kind of approaching the end game of some sort of grand geopolitical game of chess. Uh, commentators in Russia and China, namely Putin and Xi Jinping, have been doubling down saying that they're not necessarily friendly to the quote-unquote Western values of human rights. Um, so it seems like there's tension there. Uh, fortunately, though, one thing that I will say is that if you follow the news closely, uh, China has recently kind of backed down. Xi Jinping came to visit America in San Francisco, I believe it was, for a summit, um, you know, a direct meeting with President Biden. And immediately after that, there has been kind of a cooling off of rhetoric and tensions, I think, because both sides realize that a hot conflict um, would be incredibly wasteful and nobody wins. 
Um, so that's one thing that we can thank Russia for, because um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine did not go as well as they thought that it was going to go. Um, and it's been incredibly expensive, both in terms of uh, cost to human life, but then also it seems like it's going to bankrupt Russia. Um, so what's the point? That like nothing happens, nothing is gained, nobody wins, everyone loses. So what we're realizing is that war today is incredibly expensive um, and doesn't really do anything. So fortunately, it seems like uh, U.S. and China are backing off of any kind of hot conflict. However, that doesn't erase uh, geopolitical tension, you know, the possibility of sanctions and, and export bans and embargoes. Um, just before I recorded this, I was literally watching a video that was kind of a deep dive into the um, macroeconomics of globalism and everything that we're seeing today. And we are doubling down on onshoring resources, which is a very strategic move, because if you have fr uh, fragile logistics chains, you don't want that if someone you know wants to hurt you. And so like uh, all kinds of manufacturing is coming back onshore in America, chip fabs, all sorts of stuff. Um, so we're, it looks like much of the world is ramping up for some kind of conflict. Hopefully it doesn't happen because, uh, yeah, we'll, I'll tell you about drones in just a moment. So fully autonomous drones are one of the reasons that I'm really not looking forward to AI next year. Um, and in the future in general. Um, and that is because as we've seen in, um, in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, uh, very small, very cheap drones can drop grenades on hapless people. Uh, and that is not good. And as we've seen with uh, Hamas attacking Israel, they used drones to take down cell phone towers. And on top of that, and that was, those are just like kind of hacked together solutions. That's not, you know, Department of Defense grade autonomous drones. That's not, you know, uh, Chinese, uh, you know, military drones. These are non-military drones that have been retrofitted uh, for lethal purposes um, but when you when you consider the possibility of drone swarms, which there's already like open source open source software out there to control drone swarms, um, you know you basically can overwhelm any defenses because drones are very small. Um, they are very quick. They can navigate through woods, which means like you basically can't stop a, a swarm of drones, and they're very cheap, relatively speaking. Um, so you can do a tremendous amount of damage. Um, and they're very difficult to stop. I know that um, DARPA and, and the United States Department of Defense is working on anti-drone stuff like, you know, uh, area uh, deterrence um, using radio waves, lasers, that sort of thing. I think in microwaves uh, to like short circuit uh, drones and kind of uh, disable them. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of that uh, experimentation being done in real time on the battlefield in Russia and Ukraine. And uh, this is a silver lining. I'm not. I'm not going to say it's a good thing because I think that the war in Ukraine is awful, but it's good in a broader sense of the word. In that we're seeing what the possibilities are, and we're getting an education in what drone warfare could look like, and we're getting the ability to test it in a in an actual contested environment in terms of how drones work and how to deprive the area of drones. But yeah, like there's a video on YouTube. I think it's like 10 years old by now. Um, called Slaughterbots, which basically predicts all this. Um, and so if you haven't seen that, go watch that. And it's like, yeah, we're in the era of Slaughterbots, and that's not good. So that's something that I'm super not looking forward to. Um, in some of the communities that I run, people have talked about like, oh, yeah, like we can use autonomous AI to create weapons, and even if we create it defensively. And I just, I put the kibosh on that. Like, yes, the engineering challenges that come with making weapons are really cool, 
In point of fact, when I was little, I wanted to use my my expertise to make weapons because I thought weapons were really cool. It's a very tough uh, engineering challenge. Um, but uh, my uncle, who had had been a um, a marine, he he convinced me. He said, "Why don't you? Wouldn't it be better to use that tech expertise um, in order to do something for good rather than something destructive?" And so that really stuck with me. And so I made that the official rule of the communities that I run is that if you have the ability to solve weapons problems, you have the ability to solve more constructive problems. So, but uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And also um, due to, due to a, a, a military doctrine called symmetric escalation, we're going to see uh, basically if Russia arms with autonomous drones, America has to arm with autonomous drones. If America arms with autonomous drones, China has to arm with autonomous drones. And so like, that's just, that's the nature of things. That's the nature of warfare. Um, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I, I, I really wish it wasn't that way. Um, but that's why we have, you know, mutually assured destruction. And the biggest problem though, is that drones can be used to target civilian populations, um, with basically no way to stop them. Uh, so that's bad. And that's something that I'm super not looking forward to. The next thing that I'm not looking forward to is the ongoing arguments between basically doomers and accelerationists. Um, this is obviously an oversimplification, and most people are reasonable. Like if you look at if you if you look at a distribution, it probably follows a bell curve where the loudest voices are on the on the tail fringes of both sides. But at the same time, like loud voices get a lot of attention. And here's here's why is because the the chief problem with accelerationists and, and by the way I'm you know I'm I am a techno optimist um, you know I do think that technology is one of the few things that solves problems in a, in a very uh, significant and dramatic way. However, the accelerationists tend to downplay or even outright ignore the fact that all technology is dual use, such as drones. You can use drones to deliver Amazon packages, uh, you know, necessary medications, inspect bridges. Like there's all kinds of stuff you can use drones for, especially fully autonomous drones. But you can just as easily use those autonomous drones to deliver uh, medicine as you can to deliver grenades or poisoned water or whatever. And so um, that is one thing that that I dislike about the accelerationist movement is that it is uh, very one-sided. It is looking through a, a single lens, a very rosy lens. And again, I'm someone who says like, yeah, like look at you know, what it, the, 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 the phrase, the formula that I coined is technology is good, therefore more technology is better. By and large, that's true, but technology is also dual use. So that's, that's my beef with the accelerationists. On the other hand, um, the doomers are all about like, so there's, as far as I can tell, there's three primary things that, uh, that motivate doomers. So one is legitimate anxiety. Um, some of the, some of the people that are like diehard, like safety, 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 only safety. Um, they tend to be very anxious people. And that's not, that's not like to, to serve as an ad hominem. That's not saying, oh, because they're anxious, their point is invalid. They might be anxious because they have a point, right? So the, I'm not saying that, but at the same time, they keep espousing these views as a way to soothe their anxiety. But, but espousing these views is not how you soothe anxiety. Um, another thing is some of them, I think, are just doing it for attention. Um, you know, you, you spam Doomer narratives and you get more followers on Twitter and YouTube and yay, you win. And so the, the algorithm rewards you. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep doubling down on the Doomer message and I'm going to keep getting more attention. Um, and then finally, I think that some people do have a thinly, thinly veiled uh, death wish or a sense of fatalism and they just want the end because they're miserable people or whatever. I don't know. 
Um, but the, the problem with the Doomer narrative, whatever the motivations are, is that it is a very, very convenient narrative to exploit for people looking for regulatory capture. Because many well-intentioned doomers that are like, we need safety now, safety now, slam on the brakes, you know, or whatever, or it's going to kill us all. That is a very, very convenient narrative for big tech to pick up on and say, ah, see, there's all these people that are terrified. So, you know, regulate the heck out of this industry to prevent all of this from happening, even though it's pure fiction. So I'm not really happy with either extreme uh, in terms of the doomers versus accelerationists. I consider myself an incrementalist. Which is like, yes, we should move uh, very deliberately forward. We should move uh, as quickly as is safely possible. But every time we have a major step, we need to assess. We need to do safety checks. We need to you know, do impact assessments and that sort of thing. But we do need to move forward uh, incrementally rather than as fast as possible. And also rather than just slamming on the brakes and sticking our head in the sand. So I'm not looking forward to the ongoing debates. Fortunately, I just checked before making this video. Um, it seems like regulatory capture has not moved much. It seems like the doomers and accelerationists, it's still very much an open debate, um, both in big tech um, with people like IBM and Meta more on the um, open source side. And then, of course, Google, Microsoft and OpenAI more on the closed side. Uh, by and large, obviously, Google publishes a lot of open source stuff via DeepMind, but not everything is, is pub uh, public and open source. Anyways, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but it is it is an active, ongoing debate. The next thing I'm not looking forward to is AI versus copyright, and namely the fact that many copyright uh, lawsuits have not made it up to the Supreme Court, and it might it might literally be five, ten, or more years before it even happens. And by then, like all the decisions being made right now are going to be totally irrelevant. Um, but one thing is that so far the court seems to favor uh, open source and AI. Um, there's been a few cases where uh, class action lawsuits have been largely dismissed um, or in, in some of the cases that have already been decided, it has been decided that AI does not represent an infringement on, um, on copyright um, because it is massively transformative and there's not the human component, which I don't necessarily agree with because it's just a new tool. Most of the arguments against using AI remind me very much of every argument. Like it's the same arguments that were made against the printing press. So for because I married a librarian, this is some of the conversation that we have when the printing press really ramped up. Um, a lot of people said, no, the purist said it should just be used to print Bibles and, you know, scholastic texts. And then people started printing smut. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, people want, you know, their literary porn because that's all they had in the day. And so a lot of a lot of elitists and purists were like, no, printing press shouldn't be used for that. And then, OK, who cares? Um, then, you know, cameras came along. And of course, like, I think the first thing that someone photographed was like the scene of a setting sun in a Western town. And the second thing that someone photographed was like boobs, you know? <laughs> so like we always use new technologies, like, you know, first for curiosity and then for porn. Um, but then photography was, was similarly criticized as replacing painters, but really it was an entirely new kind of art, right? We still have painters today. We still have photographers today. Then we added digital artists. And I remember, um, heck, if you're, if you're more than 10 years old um, or have been on the internet for at least 10 years is what I meant, sorry, um, you probably remember like people poo-pooing on digital art saying it's not real art. Um, but of course, like that's no longer an argument today. Digital art is real art. Um, I've had heard stories of people um, in college like getting fine arts degrees. 
in fine arts, uh, many fine arts programs, digital art is still not considered a fine art, um, which is pretty idiotic in my opinion, but that's my opinion and I have strong opinions. Um, I think that's why some of you are here. Anyways, this is a long rant. My point is that it has not been legislated and there's a huge amount of disagreement over what constitutes art um, and so on and so forth. And what I'm really afraid of is that it's going to get legislated in such a way that really just takes away a lot of power from us individual creators. I'm afraid that that there's going to be some kind of landmark Supreme Court decision that says, yes, if you create uh, an open source model and it has one copyright thing, it's going to get um, killed and, and everyone who creates art with it is going to be fined, you know, $500,000 per infringement. Cause like that sounds extreme, but a lot of American judges are really old and really dumb and easily manipulated by, by lobbyists. So, and I know that they're not supposed to be like judges are supposed to be apolitical, but in America, that is not true. Um, and so I'm just afraid that like our ability to do individual art um, with this new technology is going to be deeply hamstrung by some idiotic activist judge making a decision and that, um, and that the big companies are going to be able to monopolize on all this new technology. And so that the likes of Adobe and Disney and all of them, they just basically say like they pull up the ladder behind themselves and say, we can use the art, but not you. Um, and that's, that's really what I'm afraid of. And I hope that, I hope that that never happens, but it might happen in 2024. It might not happen for five or 10 years. Um, but yeah, so like, this isn't, this is something that is undecided. So keep arguing, like, honestly, like keep arguing about this stuff. The next thing that I'm not looking forward to is overzealous safety, um, particularly in big tech. So I don't make it a secret that I am not a fan of Anthropic. I was a fan of Anthropic because they split away from open AI and they focused on constitutional AI. But what they did was they made the most sanctimonious, uh, chatbot I have ever seen, um, and it's actually just kind of like an ongoing joke about like the things that will send Claude into like an existential crisis and the odd things that it will ref- refuse to do. Um, but it's also very inconsistent. I will say that Claude 2.1 or whatever uh, release they just did um, is better. Um, but the- Claude is not my go-to because it is more, it is still more likely to either just refuse to do basic things um, or it will, um, it, it will just like fly off the handle ranting about ethics. And I'm like, you're not a human stop ranting about ethics. So anyways, that, and that is like these companies, these big tech companies are not collaborating on it. They're, they're, they're kind of doing everything behind closed doors. They're making decisions about quote unquote ethics. And as far as I know, most of them don't actually even hire ethicists. Like does Claude actually have any philosophers on staff, any ethicists on staff, any sociologists on staff? I don't think they do. Um, and I know that I'm pretty sure that OpenAI doesn't. Um, uh, you know, I was talking to some friends in OpenAI, like they hire product managers from from Meta, right? They hire former Facebook people. Those are not people that have a really strong grasp of ethics and morality um, or humans or psychology. And so because of this, it's like you end up with these engineering kind type of solutions to prop, to very human problems and they don't really know what they're doing. Um, now, obviously, like if you've got a good product owner and you're trying to just build a tech product, that's one thing. Um, but that, but when you have when you're trying to force feed ethics to these AI machines and you don't really understand ethics in the first place, you end up with these really sanctimonious, really kind of contrived um, schemes around quote unquote safety. Look at the example that like you know for a long time. 
uh, chat GPT wouldn't talk to you about mental health, but it was more than happy to help you make like, you know, a biosafety level uh, lab level four setups where you could do gain of function research and synthetic biology research. So it would help with those, but it wouldn't talk to you if you were sad. Like that is the kind of like idiotic overzealous safety um, that, that comes up from these like, you know, basically we can do it and nobody else can this, this hubris that uh, exists in some of these companies. So I'm not really looking forward to that. It seems like some of them are starting to talk like, you know, they're, they're, you know, working on creating comprehensive policies and and regulatory practices that say, these are the eight things that you need to test. Um, But, you know, one, for as much emphasis as they, as they've put on safety, like, oh, we're going to spend six months testing this. And that none of that crossed their mind. Like, what were they doing for those six months uh, testing behind closed doors? Again, like, did they consult anyone? Um, and they said that they did, but they clearly didn't consult the right people. And so that level of hubris and, and overzealous safety is something that I'm really not looking forward to, um, which is another reason that I'm a big fan of open source. So again, this is a rant. Sorry, not sorry. The next thing that I'm really not looking forward to, and this is a double-edged sword. This is like, you know, the devil on one side of my shoulder and the angel on the other, because I'm someone who's constantly advocating for post-labor economics. And I'm, you know, my formula there is, it, when machines get uh, better, cheaper, faster, and safer than humans, it is not only economically inevitable, it is ethically responsible to replace human labor with machines. Um, at the same time, we are super not ready for that to happen. And so um, as part of the research for this video, I went and looked at the latest data um, from the BLS, so Bureau of Labor and Statistics um, in America, and you can see that total employment is still going up at a relatively fast clip. Uh, we had the the pandemic, um, which was relatively, you know, there's a huge number of layoffs. It looks like more than 20 million people lost their jobs immediately because of the pandemic. Um, and then it took um, about two years to recover, and we're, we're about back on track. So um, total employment is one of the key metrics that I pay attention to, because if I'm right, then eventually AI is going to displace um, more and more workers. And there's actually a report that just came out by the IMF, the um, International Monetary Fund, where they kind of project a few different things and make a few different assumptions. I'll make sure there's a link in the comment. But basically they say like, we could see this kind of like parabolic arc within five to 10 years, depending on the capabilities of AI. Um, and and if that's the case, then basically five to 10 years, you're looking at the 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 marginal utility the economic utility of humans dropping to near zero within five to 10 years. And that's the IMF saying this, this is, this is not me. Um, now there, there was a third like uh, condition or thought experiment that they did where basically one possibility, and this is an outside possibility. I don't think that they really uh, believed this, but the idea was that um, every time a new information technology comes out, that just basically offloads human cognition and the human brains seem to be capable of increasingly, um, abstract thought or uh, or strategic thought. And so the idea was, well, what if AI can do all of the menial daily things and literally every human has enough spare mental resources to think more strategically um, and think more long-term? But one thing that they pointed out is that some people just don't have that capacity or that training, that even if they want to, they can't necessarily think strategically or long-term, meaning that like you're going to be kind of left out in the cold um, if this happens, and so like this IMF report um, basically said, like the 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 clock is ticking. We've got five to ten years to figure out how to pivot to post labor post labor economics.
if I'm reading it right, obviously like the report is it's speculative, it's hypothetical. Um, so, but you know, I'm not the only one saying this kind of thing and we're super not prepared for it, even though a lot of people want it, um, myself included, like, you know, there's lots of things that I would rather be doing than, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm an outdoors. I'm, I'm I just want to live like a hobbit. Um, but the government as, as far as I'm aware is not really ready for this. Um, and having talking, talked to, um, various governmental people, one of the chief problems is that many people in the government just don't believe that it's happening or that it's coming. So we really need to build more consensus about like, we need to prepare for this. And there's, there's on a small scale, there's evidence that UBI works. However, on a large scale, we don't know how UBI would, would impact, uh, macroeconomic trends and that sort of thing. Um, and then there's also the question of like, this is the simplest thing is, okay, even if UBI and other redistribution um, things work on a functional level to keep you know food on the table and keep the economy going, what does it mean if people no longer have any options to improve their status? Um, and that's one of the key things that, that we're afraid of um, in terms of like disrupting our way of life. Now, I'm, you know, I've made plenty of videos talking about there's plenty of other things that you can do to increase your social status. Um, even if you don't have that many material ways of increasing your social status, but that still feels like a rather bleak way of living. Like, you know, if you don't have any way of earning the nicer house, like you're going to feel trapped and we don't, nobody wants to live like that. Cause that's exactly what it was like in Soviet Russia. It's like the state allocates the house that you get and that's it. And you have to accept your lot in life. Um, and we don't want that. So UBI is not a solution to that. Um, but then how do people earn money? We don't know. So we're really not ready for, for the jobs impact. Now, again, um, it does look like the, the job, job market is still growing on a macro scale. Obviously, there's a lot of people that are struggling. More and more people are struggling. So um, this trend does not say this is not a complete picture. Something, something to keep an, uh, an eye on in 2024. The next thing I'm super not looking forward to is regulatory capture. So regulatory capture, if you're not familiar with the term, is basically where uh, companies you, through, you know, means of lobbying, backroom dealing, and that sort of thing, they basically end up having out, drastically outsized influence on the regulators, on the policymakers. And so they say, oh, regulate us like this, but not like this. And so then the people who have the most influence um, on Capitol Hill uh, basically are able to stack the deck in favor of them. And so this is why, like, when people like Sam Altman did his his whirlwind global tour and talked to Congress and talked to senators, many behind many closed door meetings, talked to leaders around the world, I'm like, yeah, that's way too much influence from one person. Um, just from a structural standpoint, even if Sam Altman had the best intentions, which he he very well might have had, um, he's still just one person with one perspective. Um, and so what I really what you really need is inclusive conversation. But you also need transparency. You need transparency and you need accountability. And regulatory capture, basically the companies with the most money can afford the most influence. And if you can afford influence, that means that you can uh, stack the deck in your favor so that you get even more money. And, you know, the government fortunately is taking, uh, and not just the American government, many European governments are taking the stance of, we need to make sure that we don't stymie innovation. So it's like innovation and safety and consumer protections. Um, and hopefully, because they're taking that, that posture, we're going to see uh, a good balance between 
open-ended regulation that allows for exploration of this space. Hopefully we're going to see um, not too much regulation. We're not going to see anything stifling, you know, open source research, for instance. Um, but it has yet to be seen. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the video, uh, the, the debates are ongoing. Um, there's disagreements between big tech companies, which I, th I think is a good thing. There's disagreements between uh, safety commentators, uh, researchers, politicians. Like So it's, it's undecided. Uh, but it could break either way in 2024. It might not break in 2024. But as things get more powerful, I, sus I suspect the, um, the motivation to come up with an answer, uh, the pressure is going to get turned up. And so I'm not really looking forward to how that might play out in 2024. Hopefully it'll go good, but, you know, don't hold your breath. And then finally, the last thing that I'm not looking forward to is just kind of a recap of everything here, which is Silicon Valley arrogance. There is not enough transparency in Silicon Valley. Um, the fact that they are training gigantic models and have, uh, you know, their own internal testing schemes and they publish the, resort, the, the results and it's basically like, just trust us, bro. Um, we figured it out. And then, you know, it comes in contact with the real world. And it, the example of, of doing synthetic biology and gain of function research is a prime example of whatever safety, quote unquote, safety testing they were doing was obviously inadequate. Another thing that I really don't like about uh, the Silicon Valley ethos right now is this kind of messianic savior complex that some of them have had, where it's like we and only we are capable of solving these problems and and we and only we are qualified to even be having the conversation when literally the entire planet is the stakeholder. Um, and so I looked it up and you might remember earlier this year, OpenAI did their like democratic inputs to AI. And I checked the blog and the blog said that it was all supposed to go public in October and I couldn't find any reports. Maybe I didn't look hard enough, but it looks like they just gave up on the idea of democratic inputs to AI. Um, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but it looks like, you know, they said one thing and then did another, um, which really reduces trust. And the idea that like, oh, like we need to do this in you know, this research, you know, completely in, in solitude um, behind closed doors and, and only we can do it. And we're going to do the testing. That is just like, that is a huge level of hubris and arrogance that needs to go away. Um, yes, there are some very sharp people working on cutting-edged AI, but they're not the only ones doing it. And then when you look at the fact that OpenAI, most of their advancements, if not all of them, are basically just pilfered from publicly funded research that universities publish, like they're, they're, they're not doing anything special. Um, likewise for Google, likewise for Microsoft, likewise for Meta, likewise for, um, for DeepMind and all of them. And this is where like, I really appreciate some of the, some of the different commentators like I really sincerely hope that Llama three is like as good as GPT four and is perf and is completely open source with open source data sets because then it's just like hey look here's how we trained it here's the full algorithm here's the weights here's the here's the data set you know go forth and be fruitful um, anyways we'll see leadership instability we've talked enough about Sam Altman being fired and rehired that basically just destroyed any trust that I have in the company at least from a from a business and ethics standpoint. Um, because it's a prime example of good intentions going awry. They wanted to align incentive structures, um, but whenever you try and do something creative, like basically, uh, um, what is his name? Patrick Boyle. He did a really great breakdown as to why their board structure was really dumb. Um, so just go watch that video, and you'll understand what I mean by like 
you, they basically created structural instability, um, which for the for a company that says we're going to save the world with AI, no. Um, backroom dealings, I already mentioned that, so I don't need to go over that again. And then finally, the, the the biggest thing is that mentality of move fast and break things. That like watchword, that buzzword is, is emblematic of literally everything wrong with Silicon Valley, which is that like, hey, you know, consequences be damned. We're here to make cool AI products, or we're here to make cool tech products. And the and the fact that OpenAI continues to hire people from Meta and and other tech people that, that literally were at Meta at Facebook during the era of move fast and break things, you know, it's like when you when you when you concentrate people with that ethos with that culture, like what are you going to get? You're going to get more people that are stuck in move fast and break things uh, mode. And so I'm not really looking forward to that. Like again, I'm an incrementalist. I definitely believe that technology is here to help, and that and that the net effect means that technology will be worth it. But we need to acknowledge that technology is a is a is a double edged sword. That it is a dual use um, advancement, and that it can be used equally for harm as for good. But the 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 harms can outsize the good um, very easily. So thanks for watching. I hope you got a lot out of this. Uh, like, subscribe, so on and so forth. Hop on over to my Patreon where I've got an exclusive uh, community. There's two tiers you can join. Uh, the basic Discord tier is just $5 right now. Um, that's going to go up to $8 sometime in 2024. Um, that gets you access to Discord, some uh, live streams that I do. And then there's the $50 uh, premium tier, which gets you access to uh, exclusive Q&A live stream, as well as some other content. Hop on over. I'll see you there. And 